Welcome to Advantage Over, the podcast for the rugby referee community, or simply those in rugby who want to know more about refereeing. Are you ready? Time on. Hello there and welcome to episode 9 of the Advantage Over podcast, the only podcast for the global refereeing community. Um, We're really grateful that you've tuned into the show today. Um, and for all your um, comments and feedback on our previous shows, we have some really good um, comments and feedback on the interview we did last time with Hendrik Gravenstein from the Stellenbosch Referee Academy. Um, so it's really, really good um, to get those stories out there. And later in the show today, we bring you um, a really great chat that I had with Jamie McGregor, who heads up the community rugby side of referee education at Rugby Australia. Um, in previous episodes of the show, we've looked at the difficulties in attracting referees. Um, in my chat with Jamie, we look at the issues around keeping hold of referees and how best to develop them um, to whatever level they aspire to be. Um, we cover a load of great ground and we've actually got some homework for you to do too, so um, do keep listening to that. Um, if you'd like to leave a review of the podcast, we'd be really grateful. Um, we've had another one through in the last couple of weeks from Donman Expat, who describes the podcast as unique. Well, thanks very much, Don. Um, uh, yeah, some he says... He or she says, um, a great first few episodes on a subject which really needs coverage. Thanks very much. That's, of course, one of the reasons we wanted to set up the podcast and why the rugbyreferee.net website was created in the first place to try and give us a voice, um, trying to bring all the news and content um, related to refereeing into one place. Still on a bit of a journey with that, but um, we'll get there um, in the end. But thanks very much for reading the website, for subscribing to it, and you can subscribe if you go to the site, um, bringing you the latest news as it happens, but also, obviously, for listening to the podcast. So before we get to um, interview with Jamie, just have a quick a few quick few newsy items to bring you. Um, firstly, let's start on the congratulations front. A massive well done and congratulations to um, England's first female contracted full-time um, referee, Sarah Cox, who refereed the final of the Rugby World Cup 7's women's tournament um, last week when the Black Ferns um, took the trophy again. Um, and also congrats to Rasta Rasavenji, who added to his Olympic Sevens final medal um, by taking charge of the men's final as the All Blacks again won on the men's tournament, beating England this time at the AT&T Stadium in San Francisco. Um, I checked in a couple of times over last weekend. It looked like a cracking few days of, of rugby. Full stadium, obviously different audience in San Francisco, and it sure looks like everyone had a great time. So congratulations to everyone who put that event on and to all the officials who made the event go so smoothly um, if you head over to Instagram there's some great shots um, from rug, a chap called Rugby Photographer um, who does exactly what he says on the tin but he's a great supporter of referees and some great shots so if you haven't checked those out do head over to Instagram and have a look um, at those, it's great So this weekend it's the Super Rugby Semi-Finals um, and Sanzar have um, this time gone neutral for the semi-finals, although um, that will change for the finals. So this weekend, it's the all-Kiwi clash between the Crusaders and the Hurricanes, um, and Yako Piper will be in charge of that one. Um, and in the meantime, in Johannesburg, Glenn Jackson from New Zealand is in charge of the South African side, the Lions, um, who play the New South Wales Waratahs. But Sanzar have already announced the, um, that Gus Gardner will be refereeing the final next weekend. Um, so sticking with their clear line of um, appointing on merit. Um, so choosing the best referee, not the best neutral referee. Um, so um, Angus Gardner from Sydney in New South Wales um, could end up refereeing um, the New South Wales Warrantars in that final if they make it through their match tomorrow. Um, interesting that Sanzar stick to that policy of the best referee for the job, and clearly Gus is that. 
um, in their in their minds, and for those who have seen um, Super Rugby this season, I think they'll probably agree with that pr- that principle. So many congratulations to Gus um, as he takes charge in his first Super Rugby final next weekend. Um, speaking of good luck, and we um, I might as well use this podcast to try and get some support. Um, Amy Barrett Teron, who's um, one of the um, is the um, leading female referee in South Africa, has been nominated for the G Sports Women of the Year Award. Um, so if you're in South Africa, it's a public vote. Um, so head over to their website. We'll put it in the show notes um, and and go and vote. And the voting is open um, until the 12th of August. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, go give Amy some support um, and vote for her in the in that award so um, it's really great that she's been nominated she's up against some tough competition um, but I think between us we can probably all get behind her and see how we do um, how she does in the, as those awards are announced later in the autumn so um, away from people and appointments let's look at some law news um, um, in England the RFU are going to be trialling um, a new tackle height law in a fairly restricted competition in their second tier league um, with the demise of the the old British and Irish Cup, now the Championship size, which is the level below the Premiership in England, um, they're all now going to play in a, a closed book um, cup competition in the autumn. Um, and it's at that um, it's at that league and at that particular competition only where the laws will be amended to bring the tackle height down to armpit height, um, not the current um, high tackle laws that we apply to so shoulder um, height. So you might remember that the under 20s World Championships in France over the summer trialled the same, but in that um, they didn't trial the same, they tried the, the same output to try and bring the tackle height down, but they used a post-match disciplinary process. This competition in the Championship Cup um, in England only is for the on-field officials, on-field officials and, and it will bring the tackle height lower by law, just for that um, uh, 43 games I think it is, um, in that particular Cup competition. Um, it's the same that they'll be using in the World Under-20s Trophy later in the game. So another on-field closed-book competition um, to see how player behaviour changes this time by using referees to modify the law. Um, so for those listeners in the UK, and I know that's a lot of folk who do listen to this are in the UK and in England, this does not apply to you. This isn't a law change for everyone in England. Um, it only applies to you if you're refereeing in the um, RFU Green King Championship Cup um, just that closed competition um, it starts I think after round 9 of the regular championship season normal laws apply in the championship um, so it's only for those few officials who will be in that particular cup um, who will be trying it but if you're in England you may be able to see that um, and go and see those games and see whether behaviour changes from a playing perspective um, and you'll see how those new laws are applied Um, And then obviously that will be fed into the global law review cycle um, after next year's World Cup. Um, And speaking of uh, changing changes to things um, linked to law, last time out on the podcast we just mentioned that Sanzar had been querying the TMO protocol and its application um, in their competitions in the Super Rugby. Um, A media report had also suggested that it would be discussed in a World Rugby Council meeting before the Sevens in San Francisco last week. Um, There hasn't been any um, output from that in in the public domain. Um, we also believe they might have discussed the sort of competition in the air point. Um, either way, there's been no outcome. There's been no official pronounce pronunciations pronouncements. No official pronouncements um, off the back of that. So um, as far as we know, at the moment there is no change. 
Brett Gosper did make some remarks in public um, at the Sevens that they would still um, be reviewing that um, over the course of the next couple of weeks and months um, and the possibility they may look again at changing things ahead of the autumn international window but um, as far as we're aware there's been no other changes and there's no announcements pending on that so um, there's a quick canter through a number of different issues affecting us if there's um, news that you want us to feature in this particular part of the podcast please do let us know um, send us an email into ref at rugbyreferee.net and we'll pick that up mark it for the podcast um, or head over to um, any of your social media channels that's where you'll find us rugby referee net on twitter and instagram um, and on facebook as well um, so drop us a line with your news forward as your news and we can get that bundled up into this session so that's a run around the news um, do keep your feedback coming in we this podcast is for you the rugby referee community and um, whether you are a referee whether you're a spectator or a fan wanting to know more about refereeing well this is for you so tell us what you want and um, what sort of people you'd like to hear from um, in the interview section what areas and topics you'd like us to discuss um, and we will do our very best to bring that to you so with that we shall um, close this section down and we'll head over and speak to uh, to jamie mcgregor So this week on the podcast, we're joined by Jamie McGregor, who's the match official manager for community rugby with Rugby Australia. Um, Jamie, you're very welcome to join us. Um, you have been refereeing, I think, I've got this right, since 1999 with New South Wales Rugby Referees Association, climbing up through the ranks on the field. But then off the field, you're really focused on um, off-field referee education, going through ref- education coordinating and through the ARU and Rugby Australia nationally. Um, you're also in a bit of world rugby match official training and referee train the trainer type stuff as well so um really great experience to have you with us on the podcast thanks for joining us yeah thanks keith happy to be here um and have a chat to you about all things refereeing um and yes so my role is education development training of community level uh, match officials so right the way through the grades up until the point at which uh, Scott Young, who's our um, referee manager for the high performance team, he takes them and turns them into, you know, diamonds. Uh, so that's that's the, the process there. But, yeah, so I'm look, I'm uh, predominantly focused on the community game in Australia. And how big is the community game from an Australian perspective? What sort of numbers of people are we talking about? Um, well, we've got about uh, 2,200 referees in total um, across uh, New South Wales, Queensland, um, and predominantly there'd be about um, over half of our referees would be in those two states. And then we've got uh, other sizable associations of a couple of hundred uh, in, in most of the other states. Uh, and then NT and Tassie have a few um, uh, a few diehard referees refereeing their rugby in those in, in those places. Uh, so um, we've got about 30 referees associations or societies, as you might might call them, uh, up north, uh, and they range from usually they could have up to about 200 members down to um, down to you know 10. So that's the that's the range that we work with across the across the country. Right. And obviously, we've talked on the podcast before about the difficulty in attracting new referees. Um, we're actually going to change tack today and talk about, I guess, how we retain retain them. What, so, what are the challenges that you face down there in in retaining referees in the system? Well, it's it's funny because a lot of a lot of people do talk about recruitment, and obviously, in my role, uh, recruitment is a is a is a big part of of what 
we need to achieve at Rugby Australia and helping the different associations gain numbers of referees. But the statistics are actually quite interesting around the churn that we, we get. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is that we, we gain actually plenty of referees each year the problem is that we lose the same number of referees out the other end and so i mean uh, it can be up to about uh, 30% and i almost didn't believe it until i i saw the statistics and in fact playing in australia is very similar um i didn't really have a handle on how many people stop playing um and, and in this case stop refereeing each year uh, and so really the secret to growing the number of referees in the game to a certain degree is retention. And so we have been looking at a couple of different strategies for the last uh, little while. We, we've put in a, a national match official survey for the last couple of seasons where we've asked, uh, we've tried to keep the survey as short as humanly possible <laughs> because there's nothing worse than a bloody survey arriving in your email. And by doing that, we've kind of we've kind of got a pretty good response rate. We've had a response rate of uh, over half of our referees, which I think most marketing companies will tell you if you get any response rate of over half, you're doing all right from yep. all of your all of the stakeholders. So we had more than half of our referees nationally respond with a with a kind of a satisfaction rating, kind of out of ten, as to how they're feeling about their life as a referee. And our aim is to try and push that the average number up. And a couple of the things that we noticed was what is it that that um, uh, we would also ask in the survey what uh, these referees felt were the issues in the game. And you can kind of then look by what the satisfaction rating of the referee is and what they see the issues in the game are to try and track exactly what are the things that are going to you know, annoy people about refereeing. And what we discovered were a couple of key drivers. None of this will be, you know, it's not, you know, as a famous man once said, it's not rocket surgery. Uh, the first is referee coaching. So improving the standard and quantity of referee coaching is an absolute must uh, and anyone involved in you knows this is the case with the players i think um that you know if you have a good coach as a player you're likely to come back around the next year um and similarly as a referee if you're not getting uh feedback that allows you to you know improve your performances you're less likely to want to hang around for the the, the following season if you don't feel like you're actually getting anywhere so that was a key part of it Secondarily, uh, match official abuse. We've got a, a couple of. I'm not sure uh, what the environment is like where where you're um, operating in, Keith. But uh, certainly, we have some issues around the behaviour of spectators in in uh, around in rugby fields. I'm very happy to say that I think rugby is one of the better codes uh, in Australia in terms of um, the behaviour around the field and also in relation to the match officials. But we do still have our challenges uh, from individual incidents to some places where there is a very poor culture. And so that obviously has an effect on on referees um, who, who you know, give up for various different reasons or simply just don't like the, the you know, the, um, the environment that they're refereeing in. Interestingly, it wasn't just spectator behaviour. It was also, when we looked at the data, it was also the behaviour of the players and the coaches, the the, uh, the dissent, the kind of criticism that they're getting from those people, as opposed to uh, spectator abuse specifically, um, which I, I kind of, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of, that made sense to me because... Um, Always, when, when I've been refereeing, I kind of can't hear what 
whatever the hell people are saying out on the uh, you know in the crowd. But you can certainly uh, you know front. you can certainly you can certainly hear what what coaches and players are saying back to you. So they they were the two big drivers uh, for us of that satisfaction of a referee and then wanting to hang around and 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 keep him for the next year. Is that yeah? That, those that makes things? absolute sense. And certainly on the on the referee abuse front, we certainly see that here. And and the stories that we cover and I read about on uh, rugbyreferee.net are exactly the same all over the world. Those those are the challenges that we all face. Can I just ask you what? When you're talking about referee coaching, how how does that differ for match official um, observing and assessment? Is that is it the same thing to you, or do you keep them separate? So in in Australia, we we've, we've had a, over the you know for ten years now, we've had a very big um, shift from assessing to coaching. So we do not have any assessors anymore. There is no role of an assessor. There is no job description in any state in Australia, there's no such thing as an assessor anymore. Um, Effectively, uh, and there's no real such thing as a selector either until you get to the very top uh, level. So really associations here work with referee coaches um, who are expected, if they are watching a referee, to be able to provide some encouragement and ideas and guidance to that referee. Um, and our message to them is if you have no idea how the referee is going to improve about X topic, then don't bring it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's the kind of the, the general encouragement to, to coaches to coach. And yes, at a certain point along the line, the coaches have to have a say in some selection um, and, and development referees. But... Um, you know, we, we, we have been through a process where selectors and uh, and coaches were very separate. And what we found was that because the selectors can't be everywhere at once, all they did was pick up the phone and ask the coaches how a referee's going anyway. So it was kind of a, 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 um, a pointless divide. So really, we, we have got a big push for referees to be coached. Um, and... That that seems to be going well. We we in most associations we have either a grouping, so a coach will look after a set number of referees uh, for a whole season. That w- obviously they won't be the only people that look at them, and uh, that that works well in some places and, and not as well in others. Uh, and in in other associations they don't have groupings; they just have a, a, a range of different coaches who could see a referee on any given weekend. So the theory would be that as as a referee, I might see the same coach three or four times a season to that get that consistent approach to what you're hearing yes exactly right and and it's it's got to do with i mean what's amazing i think is we we've had this massive shift from assessing to coaching and so if you say to everyone oh you know assessors in the dark days of referee coaching would hide behind trees with a clipboard and you know mark off you know you missed this knock on and you missed this forward pass and all that kind of jazz and that was very frustrating and, and i think by and large that doesn't happen anymore um we, we've made that shift the shift that i think is yet to be made is to really in a ref, for a referee for the referee world to come to terms with what actually is coaching mm-hmm. and coaching 
is really preparing someone for performance, not reviewing someone's performance. If you were to say you're a sprinting coach, uh, you know, what do you have to do for a, an athlete to perform? Well, you've got to prepare their diet, you've got to look at their form, you've got to, you know, think of their psychological issues. You've got to, all of this is before the race. No one, no one would ever say, oh, what do you do as a sprinting coach? Oh, well, you watch the video back and tell them what they did wrong. So, and yet, mysteriously with referees, that's exactly what we do in, in a lot of cases. You'll have someone turn up on the weekend and they'll, you know, they'll, tell you what you should do differently next time but there's very little pre-game role for the coach certainly in australia there traditionally hasn't been so one of the pushes that we've got currently is to try and encourage for there to be more contact between the coach on, on a particular weekend with that referee before the game to try and work out what are they working on what are some of the strategies that they're going to employ and then then obviously the coaching that comes from that game is going to be better because of that process Great. So, um, what are the sort of challenges that you're facing in recruiting the right sort of people into coaching? Where are you getting your coaches from for those um, 2,200 referees? Because you'd suggest that you need half as many coaches. Yes. Well, we don't have them, Keith. So, <laughs> do you know? Do you know where we can find some? Uh, I uh, look. If you've got any spare, we'll, ha- we'll have we a look and it. send you some. Yes. Have a look down the back of the couch, or you know, wherever you find a fair change. Look, referee. I mean, I don't know what it's like for you, but it, it's a tough sell. You know, I think for a lot of um, for a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in in today's time poor society, they're not you know they're not interested in in that extra role of of coaching referees. I mean, obviously, the lion's share of referee coaches we have uh, come from the ex referee community. You know, people who have whatever reason have stopped refereeing, and they go into coaching. Um, we, we've also tried to recruit, wherever possible, people who are respected in the rugby communities um, to be referee coaches. I mean, you don't need to have been a referee to be a referee coach. I mean, I think that's obvious, although it doesn't seem obvious for a lot of people. Um, uh, and so, I mean, even at our, at our national level, we have Mitch Chapman, who's a former player, uh, who played for the Reds and the, and the Waratahs and the Brumbies, who's now come on board as a referee coach for our uh, elite referees and, you know, never refereed a game of rugby in his life, but, you know, has a lot to, to give those guys a, a lot of game understanding, a lot of knowledge about how those guys need to interact. So uh, we, we do try to have respected people at our associations involved in the referee coaching and selection process, even at community level. Um, from my perspective... I'm a massive believer in if you can teach someone something, it helps you understand it better yourself. Yeah. So uh, from in my own role, I've, I run a bunch of, um, we have a bunch of uh, activities for developing referees at younger age groups, in particular a school scholarship for year 12, our, our 18-year-old kind of school leaver referees. And the, the people that I get to referee coach those guys are not necessarily regular referee coaches, but they are the senior referees in our local area to try and say, right, you guys need to go with these referees for a, you know, a three or four day camp and actually coach them to referee. And you'd be amazed how much their own refereeing improves from the experience of trying to coach others about communication and positioning and escalation and all that kind of jazz. So... Our hope is that those guys will see that the benefit of that of that coaching um, interaction, and then perhaps when they 
you know, if they do a bit more of it as they uh, continue as a senior referee, and then maybe the transition when they stop refereeing isn't so hard and it's not such a massive sell to say, hey, come back and, and coach some referees, um, uh, stay involved in the game even once, once the, the moment passes when you can't referee anymore. So, so talking of transition there, let, let's shift to the refereeing perspective. So listeners of the podcast might be, um, or I'm, I'm assuming that listeners of the podcast are already refereeing um, in the community game and they're looking forward if they're in the north of the season coming up or if they're just coming towards the end of your season downside as we as we as they head towards um season end so how the challenges that they they are facing this isn't the season end keith this is the rugby championship is just about to begin you know new zealand south africa australia argentina it's just start, the, the best bit of the season is just about to start down here so cool so um, so, so, so your guys out there refereeing are looking at how that how, how do they get onto those games in in four or five years time so how do we how do we shift people up through the ranks of refereeing that's the challenge um, that listeners will be facing. How do I, as a referee in the community game, develop myself to become a better referee? Come on, Jamie, answer um, that one for me. Answer that one. Jeez, yeah, okay. If I knew the answer to that, I mean, I think the, <laughs> there's a couple of things that I, I would say to that. Um, and, and the first is, you know, one, one has got the violin playing in the background and everyone's heard it before. It's, you know, control the controllables. You know, you, you, can't, you can't have goals that, uh, that you can't necessarily affect. And if someone, at the end of the day, if someone doesn't select you for something, there's nothing much you can do about it. So uh, I think worrying about, about individual specific appointments is a fool's game. And, and anyone who's spent any time in refereeing would, would, be, would tell you the same. Uh, wanting to improve and move up the ranks, that's a different thats a different kind of story, I think. And listening to uh, people who provide you with, with good feedback that you trust is obviously going to, and, and then trying to make adjustments in your game to meet that is, is you know, an obvious first thing. I think the secret that, that very few people, are, you know, will acknowledge uh, unless you get them in a weak spot or after four beers is that rugby... And I'd be interested in your experience, given that you 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 know you've obviously been through higher levels of the game. My experience is, as rugby, as you rise up the ranks, it actually gets easier to referee because you stop refereeing incompetence and you start refereeing cheating, and that's actually a lot easier. What what happens is that the rugby gets quicker and the decisions are made with more pressure. Uh, the actual rugby itself gets easier. Would would you agree with that, General? I, I ent- entirely agree. And I was thinking back when I was just thinking about what, how we we'd cover this is that the the biggest leaps in rugby and refer, refereeing the rugby over here is the for me when I was going through and it's a, bit, a little bit out of date now um, was the leap between <laughs> just as we enter the professional era so what would be the level 6 to level 5 and then into the national panels where exactly you're saying it's that leap between the professional game the players who are being predominantly paid to train regularly and to play um, and you turn up on a Saturday and you're the only amateur involved you're on your own without touch assistant referees and TJs and that sort of thing and that leap and how to get your head around that cheating for cheating for to win the game and that's the air quotes being used there all over the place um, as opposed yeah. to the incompetent stuff and that's that's the jump that I found the hardest yeah. So if 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 you re- if the secret to it is that as you go up the grades it gets easier to referee just quicker and with more pressure then 
the thing that you need to be capable of refereeing is the speed of the game. So for that, is there's a physical pillar that comes with being able to cope with the faster speed of the game and mentally process what's in front of you and dealing with decisions under pressure. So if, if the game then is about pressure, then your refereeing capacity to transfer pressure to other people in the game becomes paramount so you know oh there's a bunch of penalties being given away at scrum for whatever reason ah i as the referee don't need to take the pressure of the next decision onto my shoulders i need to transfer that pressure onto the front row to do x y or z otherwise they're going to they're going to get penalized uh you know a team giving away a lot of penalties you know within the red zone I don't need to internalize that pressure on me. I just need to call the captain out and make it his problem. You know, I mean, it's easy to say that, but actually doing that is where I think the that's where the, the big challenge comes for you in, in being able to go from one level of, uh, of rugby to the next. So the actual facts on the ground, so to speak, at the breakdown or at the line out or scrum or whatever, I think that gets easier. But so it's the other two parts of the, the game, the speed and the pressure that, that are the things that if you want to move up the ranks in refereeing, if you can if you can nail those, you're doing well. I have to say I, that resonates exactly with me and I can I can picture the exact game where I learnt that lesson um, <laughs> perfectly, where I, I assumed the the ownership of poor poor propping. Um, and the decisions yeah. I made through that game were on the grounds that if the prop in front of me is this bad, the guy on the side who might come on to replace is not going to solve my problem. Um, and because right. I that was my approach to it, and I assume, as you say, I assumed that problem as the referee, and um, I didn't give it back to the players to solve. Um, then I lost the game off the back of that. And I can pitch. I know exactly where I was. I can tell you exactly who it was. And I'm sure the prop still is rubbing his hands with glee at what he got away with that day. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a great point. So, so what what do you think are the the ways that referees can look at? What can they be looking at right now to think about progressing up? Are there are particular facets of the game that we can focus on outside of the that pressure and the mental side of things. To to do what? Sorry, to him to try and improve their refereeing, yes. or yeah. uh, from one level to another, or yeah, from I guess on on a long term progression perspective, are, are there particular things that we want them to? You think? they can identify now and work on? I think, yeah, okay. So what I see a lot of is um, I think something that people expect that they can do but find out very quickly that they can't do is to uh, extemporize, make up stuff on the spot, you know, as a referee when you're interacting with people. Um, Very rarely do you find a referee that has the capacity to say exactly what he wanted to say at the exact right moment to the exact right person? Uh, and I mean, my experience doesn't go to the go to the top of the game, but I've I've hung around a lot of people who have, mm. and I, I can certainly vouch for the the amount of preparation that they do for those matches. And I think that if you as a referee at any level are prepared so that when a moment comes like an escalation uh, like an escalation process and you've actually thought beforehand about what the scenario would be how you would do what you know your interaction you'd get the teams aside you move to a neutral space you call the captain out and and actually have a planned you know piece of communication I think 
someone is going to watch you as a referee and go, wow, they really have, they've got it together. And, and that referee needs greater challenges. So from my perspective, knowing what to say and when to say it and actually having practiced and rehearsed that is a massive, massive uh, boost to a referee because most of the referees I see, I think, are just winging it from game to game, you know, and they might have talent. They might be able to, you know, have good man management skills, generally speaking. They might, you know, be, be fit, well positioned in the right places. But what really stands someone apart is in those big moments, have they done the work beforehand to actually prepare and make sense and get a message across that's effective? Um, so I, I think in terms of what, what you can you two can do at home um, to you know improve your life as a referee, um, my feeling would be to prepare what you say in big moments of a game. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, does that when you were going through the ranks, did you find yourself absolutely does? And, and the worst thing, so there's a, there's a phrase that just jumped to mind that I heard over the weekend that stuck to me at a conference I was at um, that says, expect it to happen. It's exactly your right. point. So think about all the scenarios that you might go, go through and what if, what if this happens, what if that happens. Um, but the, the thing that I would chuck in there is that don't copy what you see on TV. Um, there are very few people that can yeah. deliver a line in the style of Nigel Owens. In fact, there's only one person in the world who can de- deliver a line in the style yes. of Nigel Owens, and that is Nigel Owens. Um, exactly the same for, for Gus Gardner and all those guys. If you try and copy them, you will lose credibility because the, I think the, the people on the park know what you're trying to do. You need to find what works for you and your style and your approach and your comedic delivery, if that's your style. Yeah, no, I think that's... That's a great point, and 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 let's be clear: it shouldn't be comedic. The stuff that I'm talking about is about about effectively getting through what your issue is as a as a referee, how the team needs to address it, and what the consequences are going to be if they don't. And that is that is about not about delivering a zinger of a one-liner um, or. You know, I mean, I mean, I think the thing that we realise that those guys on television are doing is that, let's be honest, they're not just playing to the captain involved. They're playing to a television audience. They're playing to the wider game, and they're they're actually selling a story of their decision and what's coming, what's coming up. And you know, we don't necessarily need to do that. You know, at the forgotten field uh, back oval. You know, on a on a Saturday. But what we do need to do is get a message through to a captain about, you know, why they need why they need to be invested in changing the behaviour of their players, uh, or or whatever the dis- discussion might be, or you know, there've been too many high tackles and a player's going to go to the bin, or. But if you as a referee don't explain yourself well, I think that's when referees find themselves let let down. So that's why I'm 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 suggesting a, a, the preparation can be key there. Um, yeah, it's not about. What I'm, what I'm encouraging is not about uh, preparing your uh, your next uh, you know YouTube appearance as uh, smart Alec referee of the week. Um, that's not not exactly what I have in mind. So yeah, that's a real good point. Right. So so some homework for listeners would be to think about the scenarios that we've just that might crop up during the game and come up with some lines that you can practice either mentally or out loud at home um, to to deliver so that when that pressure comes on. So when you all those buttons are triggered in your mind in front of you you can then deliver it in the right way at the right time rather than having to make it up so there's some some homework for you listeners exactly right so what else do you see are the sort of as people come up through the ranks are there are there areas of the game that differ um that we need to start thinking or we need to get people to think about differently 
the one one area I think is an interesting one is, and, and I'm keen to hear what you what you might think about this is the the use of advantage. I think um, when when you get when you get younger referees doing junior footy, there seems to be a an encouragement. Oh, for goodness sake, play advantage wherever you can, right? Because you want to keep the game flowing. You don't want stoppages for one of the many, many, many infringements you could be blowing at every single breakdown in junior footy. Uh, and so the the encouragement is to sort of say, you see something and you play advantage, and we and you know what, what's the worst that can happen? We come back for it. And I think. As you go up the grades of rugby and you move away from junior footy into more structured uh, and more competitive football, I think you the instinct to play advantage from everything is actually a poor one. And I think at a certain point, I think referees really should be looking to penalise everything unless there's a good reason to play advantage, which is an interesting kind of switch to come back from uh, when you start, you're kind of told to play advantage from everything, unless you know, unless there's a good reason not to. Yeah. Right? And I kind of think at, at, the, at the level, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that, which I'll, I'll go into. The the first is to think about uh, using penalties as a way of changing player behaviour, mm-hmm. not just as a kind of like a. Uh, some referees I see will go simply go through a game from penalty to penalty to penalty. You know, they'll, they'll wander along the match. Oh, I'm looking at here. This tackle hasn't rolled away. Here's a penalty. Or, and, and there's no overarching theme or message that is actually being provided to the players by the decisions you're making as a referee. And I think that if you are at a, uh, at a particular time and place, you can deliver a very effective message to players by penalising a specific player uh, at a specific time, and that has an effect on on the game. We we kind of liken it, and this is uh, if there are any uh, representatives of the RSPCA listening, uh, please turn off now. But kind of liken it to the way that you might discipline a, a dog or something like that. Like if you want to discipline a dog, you have to pe- you have to discipline the dog at the time the dog is actually doing something wrong. Uh, you can't just kind of you know call the dog in five minutes later and randomly punish it, right? Because what happens then? The dog turns on you, right? Because it's being randomly uh, abused. And and I think rugby teams are exactly the same way. If you you constantly play these advantages and and then all of a sudden they find themselves 40 seconds later being brought back for, I don't know, everyone's forgotten now, you know, eventually they just see themselves being punished without any kind of direct attachment to the incident that caused it. So I think that there's there's a a real powerful um, capacity for referees to use penalties to change player behaviour that gets lost if their instinct is to always play advantage for everything. Good example might be a, a tackler roll away scenario. If you're if you're a referee and you look at a tackler who's roll, who hasn't rolled away, I think I look at that and I go, the reason you are now playing or you want to penalise this is because the ball distribution has been destroyed or or at least significantly impeded, which probably means that the defence is now well set, which means there isn't actually a very high likelihood of converting this penalty advantage, right? Yeah. And so. Uh, the question has to be why play advantage here 
uh, we're just going to go four phases and come back to the penalty anyway more often than not. I don't think referees really think about how rarely we convert penalty advantages in, in, in the modern game. Scrum advantage, different story altogether, but penalty advantages are, are quite very hard to, they're actually hard to convert. So uh, I don't know, is, is any of this making any sense Yeah, no, that, that certain, certainly resonates. I wonder, is there a... Is there a level of rugby where that mindset needs to shift, do you think? Or is it just an experience thing and you'll, you just get to know? I mean, I, I've done some training over here in, in, in England and I kind of talk about this grey area of you just know when to do it and that will be different and it's really easy to say. It's a great thing to say as a trainer because it's not black and white. Do you think there's a, yeah. there's a level... I think, well, in, in here in Australia for us and, and keeping in mind our standard of footy at different levels might be different around the world. Yep. For me, it's kind of like 14s, 15s, 16s. Like that's the point at which the game starts being something that is uh, that is reasonably competitive. The players know what they're doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you asked a team that was in their own 22, you know, two out from their own 22, uh, and a tackler doesn't roll away and he gets all over the, the ball and the ball's really slowed down, what do you guys want here? Do you want 50 seconds worth of, you know, hitting the ball up one off the ruck or do you just want the penalty and get on with the game? Uh, we ran a level two course in, um, in, I think it was in Adelaide a couple of years ago. This is a terrible story and I shouldn't be telling this. And we, we did this level two course and, and we were doing introductions at the very first um, uh, five minutes of this course, right? And this guy introduced himself and he said, hi, I'm, insert the name, and uh, I just want to let you know, I am known here as the, as the player's referee. He said, I play a huge advantage. Uh, I'm known around here for how long I play advantages. Uh, I like to play a long, long advantage and, and everyone loves me because of it. And <laughs> anyway, it was hilarious because by the end of the session we did on advantage, he was like, uh, I think I'm actually stuffing the game up. And we were like, Yes, yes, in fact you are, because for, for this poor referee, it's kind of like uh, every time he would play advantage, the game drifts off into this alternate universe uh, of rugby that doesn't actually count, because more often than not, he's coming back for the penalty anyway. And so we just wasted 50 seconds on his on this kind of uh, his philosophy of how he wants to referee the game instead of just refereeing what's in front of him and what he thinks the non-offending team would actually want in this scenario so anyway it was a funny no, it's, little it's good because it's getting into the mindset of the players and what they want and what is their advantage as opposed to what you think oh. their advantage and sometimes that's just going to come with experience of, of being on the field um, you just said that jump there was 14 sort of 15, 16 obviously that's in junior rugby from an adult rugby perspective does it go is it is it vets to thirds fourths fifths is it the top tier where that shift might happen yeah I I mean yeah I, I think the answer is what you said before. You will know it. I mean, yeah. we've we've got obviously rugby from the top level down to some excitingly bad uh, suburban rugby, and uh, you know that's that's great footy. And uh, you, you know, I mean, they're they're desperate for stoppages. So um, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, the scrum or the or the penalty. But um, some, sometimes they love the stoppage. Uh, yeah, look, uh, I, I think. You, you will you will get a bit of a sense of it but but I think the answer to your question uh, is what you is exactly what you just said which is put yourself in the mindset of the of the non-offending team and if you're in the game and you understand at what level that game is being played then you will know the answer to that question because you will know what that that particular captain in that particular level of footy actually wants and do they want advantage 
then yes, if they do, then and away you go. I, I want to make clear, I'm certainly not saying don't play advantage. I'm saying you as a referee, it, it, when you do play it, it should be the greatest thing ever because you look at the scenario in front of you and you go, oh, this is a this is a great place for me to play advantage. Advantage, you know, and when it comes off, you go, whoa, how good am I? Um, I can see the future, you know. So, uh, and I think that's a, a great little bit of a, a difference from a referee who can do that as opposed to one that just instinctively plays advantage of every single infringement the entire game. Great stuff. I mean, obviously, that's uh, one of the reasons we call this podcast the Advantage Over Podcast because you know when, when you get it right, it's, it's, advantage over, it's the best that's call in the world you can make as a referee because you've played the right totally advantage for the right game for the right scenario. Um, Jamie, that's been a really good chat um, about referee development. I suspect we could revisit chunks of this in the future and we may well call on your um, time again. But thank you very much for joining us today. Um, some, some tips for you out there listening to, to think about over the next few weeks and months, depending on which part of the season you're in, um, to take your, uh, your refereeing further into the future. Jamie, if there's anyone listening who is still in doubt, is there anything you would about, about getting into refereeing or what they can be doing? Have you got any advice that you would offer to them? Anyone who's not involved in refereeing, what, what, our, our tagline, it's not advantage over, but it's it's that refereeing is the best seat in the house, and it certainly is, and uh, thanks for inviting me on. I'm always happy to, you know, this is my, this is my, my gig is to, you know, talk crap about referee education development and training and all that kind of jazz, so to, to talk about refereeing is, uh, with anyone from around the world is uh, always a lot of fun, and uh, so thanks for inviting me on. And uh, it's a it's a great activity that can give you, you know, like everything in rugby, it's got you. It gives you a worldwide family of uh, and a and a, um, uh, a culture and a and a tradition and a history across the world that is unmatched. I think anyone who's involved in rugby knows that. And refereeing is no different. You can go anywhere around the world and referee, and um, uh, you can see some wonderful places and, and meet some wonderful people. So, uh, for anyone who's thinking of giving refereeing a go, it's um, it is in fact the best seat in the house. So, if you love rugby, give it a crack. Great stuff. Thank you very much for joining us, Jamie. No worries. Cheers, Keith. Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from RugbyReferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, we'd also... Um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues friends community um about this podcast this is the only rugby referee podcast out there um so we hope to get to more earbuds um over time we'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments so please let us have them um you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um or you can find us through the rugby referee dot net website um, or through twitter at rugby referee net which is the same handle you'll find on instagram as well we're in all those places so please do let us know what you think let us know what you want um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future so for now that is advantage over <laughs>